When I think, I've been reflecting on this this past week. When I think about this church that I'm a part of, that I get to be a member of, that I have this also privilege and responsibility to help shepherd, I know I, I long for you all to know the goodness of God, to truly know and believe in the goodness of God. When you're suffering, when you're in physical pain, when you have conflict, when things don't go the way that you exactly want them to go, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to say, when you reflect on the gospel truths, do you believe and experience and know in your heart of hearts the goodness of God? When you reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ took on flesh, a human body, and and came into this broken world, do you believe in the goodness of God? When you see suffering, when you see evil, when you see sin, when you see war, when you see terrible things that this world is filled with, can you reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ entered into this broken world and he took on the worst of human sin, the absolute worst of it, And he did this because he loves us. He did this motivated by his character, his grace, his affection for us when we didn't deserve it. Can you reflect on those things and know that God is good when you're suffering personally? How can we communicate the good news? That is what the gospel means literally, the good news of Jesus Christ. How can we do that effectively if we don't, truly believe that God is good. The second prereq that I wanted to mention before we move forward tonight, and I think this is so essential for effective evangelism, is a willingness to engage when things are difficult, when it's challenging. We saw this last week. We went through the story of Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, And we see that Jesus, he was tired, he was weary, he was thirsty, and then he saw this woman, and he loved her, and he chose to engage at a deep, deep level with this woman, and it completely changed her life. When I look back on my life over the years of following Christ, I think the most profound opportunities I've had for the gospel, they have often come when I've been weary. They've often come when I've been tired. Man, they've come so often when I've just felt like a failure, things have been happening in my, in my life and it seems like so many things are going wrong. I feel so weak, like I'm incapable. I don't have the words to say. And yet so often, God gives us opportunities in our moment of weakness and struggle and difficulty. When I think of my own children, uh, but both our oldest children, Rowan and Aria, have, have by the grace of God, made a decision to put their trust in Jesus as as little kids in this little kid kind of way. And for both of them, you you parents, you know what I'm talking about. You put your kids to bed and you feel like you just got done running a marathon, right? When bedtime comes, you just want bedtime to be over with. You want to go watch an episode of The Office or whatever it is you holy people do after you put your kids to bed. Um... And yet that bedtime is so special with our children. It's so, so special. And I I don't know about your kids. My kids are not always the deepest thinkers as a four-year-old and a six-year-old. But for both my children, there were these moments where the, the light turned on 
And Rowan and Arya both started making comments and asking questions that were, were real, were significant. And we, we have these moments where it, it seems like something special is happening. God is moving in their, in their little hearts and their minds. And for both my oldest children, these moments happened when I felt so tired. I was so excited to just get out of their room and get to bed and relax. But often we are faced with the question, will we engage when things are difficult, when we're weary, when we're tough? And I think this is so consistent with the heart of God. He delights to express his strength through our weakness, right? His power is made perfect in our weakness. He loves to do this. He loves to show off. He loves to use us in real and significant ways when we are personally struggling, when we're tired. Um, I'd, I'd like to pray here before we get into the rest of the message and pray that God uses this tonight. And then we will, uh, after I pray here, we're gonna do two things tonight. Number one, we're gonna keep talking about gospel groundwork in the way we were last week, but specifically for young children. For those of us with young children or those of us who are around young children or will have young children someday. Uh, and then number two, we're gonna go through the gospel message through this, this tool that we've developed that I think will be helpful I really believe it will be helpful for many of you in learning how to boldly and clearly proclaim the gospel message. So let's pray here. Lord, we need you. God, we pray that you would use tonight. Pray that you would, uh, you would give us your heart, Lord. You'd give us wisdom. Pray that you would empower us to believe you, to believe in the good news, to proclaim the good news, to love those around us, to see those around us, God. And I pray that each person in here tonight would believe that we have, because of Jesus Christ and who you've made us, that we have something significant to offer. Lord, that we can serve you in a way that's meaningful, in the, in the way that you've designed us to, God. We can make a serious impact on the world by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, God. I pray that you'd help us to believe that, to live our lives in light of it, and to put our trust in you questions that are in our heart, Lord. I pray they'd come to our minds as we go through this content tonight and that we'd be able to discuss these things so that our faith would be deeply rooted, God, and we could truly encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'd like to share a couple verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, this commandment is given in the context of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law. And we see here that God is spurring his people on to have a culture in their homes and in their families, of proclaiming and meditating on and talking about constantly, a lot. Read this verse about his words, about the word of God. How much more so should we have this mindset in our homes and in our families today? And then let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord.
Fathers and mothers have this incredible privilege to be able to raise our children for Jesus Christ. It is an unbelievable calling and a great responsibility. And when I think as a, as a father, I, I think of this passage as a father. This command from God that I ought not be heavy-handed with my children and make them desperate and tired and put a heavy burden on them. But instead, instead of that, bring them up in the training, training and the instruction of the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the, the ground floor of the training and instruction of the Lord. I, I desperately long for my children to know Jesus Christ, to know him, to know the things that he did, to know who he is, to understand his heart and his character and his love for them. And I, I desperately desire my own children as I believe you parents in here do as well, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand the gospel, and for themselves to respond to the gospel message and not have a faith that's their daddy or their mommy's faith, but for them to be in a position where they understand the basic truths of Christianity, that Jesus came in history and died on a cross for their sins and that he rose from the dead. And they recognize their need for his salvation, putting their trust in him. How can we have this culture in our homes where our kids grow up and they experience the love of Christ, they see Jesus in our houses, they see our faith and our love for God and our love for them. I wanna just lay out some practical things and this is not in any way exhaustive but I hope it will spark some, spark some thoughts for you parents and, and those who are around kids and those who will have kids someday. I think the very first thing we can do is to pray desperately for our children. The things that we're desperate for, we will pray for. We will ask the Lord for. Pray desperately for your kids to know the Lord. Pray for them in front of them. This is a beautiful thing that you can have as just part of your routine, night after night, not to just go through the rote prayers, although there's nothing wrong with written prayers, but to pray earnestly and authentically for your kids and let them hear you pray for them. Let them hear your prayers. Teach them how to pray. That's a lot of fun to teach your little kids how to pray. It might not be the most heartfelt at first, but they're learning to put language to uh, their own thoughts and heart, and they're learning how to talk to, to the Lord. Uh, don't, don't expect them to pray in the same way you do as an adult, certainly. Um, the second just thought or idea here, and these are some things that I've, I've just taken from our own family and, and things I've seen from others over the years. Kids love stories, right? So many things are passed down in families through stories. The stories we tell become part of our family culture. Even, even the, show, the stories we watch, the shows we watch can become part of our family culture as our children grow. One thing we can do, we get to control the content when our kids are really young, right? When they're 17, 18, 19, 20, we don't have that privilege quite in the same way or maybe in any way anymore. 
But when they're young, and we have a lot of young kids in our church, so this, this is kind of the, the, the target of who I'm speaking to, young children. We have the opportunity to control the content of the stories that are told. This is another thing, special moments at night. When our kids, they, they want to hear a story. We can read Bible stories. We can read about the things that Jesus has done in history. We can read about the goodness of God. Now, I know this, this might not fall in line with every, all, every parent's gifting in here, but we love to tell stories. Just, we love to make up stories. And if you don't think you're good at making up stories, you're better than your kids at making up stories. I can assure you of that. You're better than your four-year-old at making up stories. So even if you're, you're not gonna be a Pulitzer Prize winning author, you probably can tell stories that entertain your kids. And what we do in our stories, not every time, I'm not saying every single night and this is some legalistic thing, but I, I love making our stories point towards the gospel. So for example, you might have just a really bad guy, a really bad guy in a story. Well, in our stories, the bad guy normally comes to Christ <laughs> and becomes a missionary. This is what happens oftentimes with the, the bad guy in our stories. And our kids, so our kids are learning at a young age. Okay, it's not like an us versus them. We got all the good Christians over here and all the bad people over here. They're learning about the power of the gospel through these stories. We do these super daddy stories also where the, the daddy's not the hero in the story, but daddy's in some desperate situation and is just praying earnestly to the Lord and sees God come through and give him a superpower. Now, that might not happen in real life. Um, I'm not sure if they understand that or not. But stories, the stories that we tell can be an opportunity to spark our kids' imagination and creativity and just teach them how awesome and, and good and kind the Lord is and how much he loves them. The third thing here is for us parents to share our testimony and share our stories with our kids. I, I, my kids basically think I was the devil before I came to Christ, the stories that I tell. Um, but as I've shared many, many times different parts of my testimony, I mean, there's some things that are not quite PG that I can't tell my four and six-year-old. Um, but both for Christine and I, as we tell them the stories from our youth about God preparing us and calling us and some of the difficult things that we went through and, and many of the sins and brokenness in our own life, they're able to see something different and see the way that Jesus has transformed us. And I believe it's helped them. I believe it's helped them to understand what the gospel is and it is helping them. I'll say, uh, let me take a real quick pause. I did ask Rowan, Rowan, what are the things in our family that have helped you to understand the gospel and to believe in Jesus? What, 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 have, what have we done? What have you heard? And the first thing that she said is the relationships that we've, as her parents, introduced her to in the context of the church. Being part of a church family, seeing people love one another is very, very significant for a, a small child and a child as, as they're growing. And so I just want to encourage you parents to, to keep up the good work in that. I think that's kind of the ground floor of introducing our kids to the gospel. But oftentimes, oftentimes parents leave it at that, church attendance. I'm going to bring my kids to a church where others who are trained will communicate gospel truths to them. And while that's good and that's necessary for them to experience being part of community, we have so much more that we ought to and can do 
And our parents, our, our, our children long to hear the truth from us parents. The other thing that Rowan said has really helped her is just the, the gospel witness in our family, how our family loves Jesus. And, and specifically, the number one thing she pointed to as an evidence of that is that we do not pick each other's noses. This is word for word what Rowan told me. So if any of you families struggle with that, now's the time to get that under control. Okay, where are we at here? Um, I think one thing we can do with our kids is to encourage them to ask questions and to engage with them. It's so easy to, dis- to dismiss the questions of our kids as childlike questions. But if we give them an opportunity, they will ask profound questions. They really will. It's difficult to engage sometimes because the questions come when you're tired oftentimes. And sometimes the questions are just to keep you in the room. Um, you got to discern the difference there. But how often have you heard, and maybe this has been your experience, someone who's grown up in the church and they've had lots of questions, they brought those questions up, and they were just told, well, essentially, that's, you shouldn't be asking those questions. You just need to believe. We've got to do better than that. We've got to do better than that in our families. We've got to engage with the real thoughts, the questions, the doubts, the uncertainty, the, the deep theological questions. I mean, our kids ask about the Trinity. Okay, how, how does that work? How is God one in essence and three in persons? How, how is Jesus God, but he's praying to the Father? How is Jesus in my heart, but he's also in heaven? Like, what does that mean? These are the questions that your kids answer or ask will, will, will drive you to ask some tough questions and shore up your theology. What is, if Jesus is everywhere, why when I move my hand like this, am I not like hitting Jesus? This is a question. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> Should I not do that? <laughs> they ask some great questions. All right, the fifth thing here, and this is very, um, It's very specific the way that God may lead you to practice this principle. But we've purposed in our family to tell our kids the truth. To tell them the truth about the way the world is. Every opportunity that we have to tell them things that are true and not convince them to do the right things by telling them things that are false. The elf on the shelf is watching you. Or... If you have a bad attitude tomorrow, you're getting a lump of coal for Christmas. I've told Rowan, Rowan, there's, first of all, we're the ones that buy the Christmas presents, um, which I'm not saying you need to tell your kids that per se, but there's basically nothing you can do. We're not giving you coal for Christmas. That's not happening. If I murdered someone, would you still give me a Christmas present? I mean, honestly, I think I would. I might even give you more Christmas presents if you, if you did that. Um, something would be very wrong and broken. But there are things like this. I, I, I don't want to convince my children to the right behavior through this legalistic paradigm, even in small, trivial things. Kids ask a lot of questions, and it's oftentimes very tempting and easy, the easy road to just lie to them and tell them something that's, that's not quite true. Uh, Now, I'm not saying we tell our young children everything. There's lots of things that they're not ready for. They're not ready to know. They're not ready to understand. 
as a five-year-old or a six-year-old or even maybe a nine-year-old. There are things they need to learn as life goes on. But we've purposed in our family to tell our kids the truth. I want them to know the things that they hear from me and the things that they hear from Christine, that we're doing our best to honestly communicate things that are true from the word of God, things that are true about life, um, so that they can have a genuine trust in the things that we say. Uh, The next thing here is for them to see uh, your love for Jesus, for them to see you engaged in your faith, sharing Christ with others, inviting people into your home, practicing your faith, talking about the gospel, responding uh, intellectually and emotionally to what the Lord is doing in your lives. I don't know that there's a greater opportunity we have on earth than to show our kids a love for Jesus Christ. I know you parents, uh, fathers, and especially many of you mothers in here feel, feel like, especially those who have been serving Christ for a long time, there are opportunities that you once had that maybe you no longer have, or they're just very difficult because you're in the, the heat of the battle with your little kids day after day, and it's tiring. When I was responsible primarily for our kids for a, a short period of time, when Christine had cancer a couple years ago, I just felt like I, I couldn't think. I just, I, 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 I couldn't answer any question. I couldn't engage deeply. I just had mom brain, or pregnant, pregnancy brain. Um, it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's, you, I've heard it used by many people. I didn't coin the term. <laughs> All right, let's just strike that from the record. (laughs) Um, That's officially stricken. I did not say that. I'm just saying it's difficult. And you know what I mean, it's difficult. But we have these little people living with us, learning so much about the way the world is and who God is through our lives, through our hearts, through our words, through our actions, through the way that we discipline them through the way that we show them love. But at every opportunity, genuinely, can we let our kids see our love for Jesus Christ? I want that to be the legacy that I leave for my children. For them to know, for them to know that Jesus Christ loves them. That their parents love the Lord and their parents love them and we love one another. I want them to know those things. I want them to experience those things. And that is often our prayer. Uh, The last thing here is to utilize, often utilize gospel resources. There's so many incredible tools out there that believers have, have developed and worked on that can help us communicate the gospel and do the gospel groundwork with our own children. Uh, One of these, and I think we've got some little icons up here, is the Bible app on whatever smartphone you have. Kids, well, they want to be on your phone, and, you know, we've got to limit that, but when they're on our phones, which happens inevitably, the Bible app uh, by YouVersion, I believe, that's the little icon right there at the top left, it's awesome. It walks them interactively through Bible stories, and they can experience many gospel truths just by playing with this game. Our our kids love it. Um, The second thing here, Superbook, on Amazon Prime, if you can get through a couple episodes of Superbook without tearing up as a parent, then I, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I can't. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. 
Um, and we might as well use great media to help our kids experience the goodness of God and, and the truth of the scriptures. So if you've got Amazon, I'm sure you can get some bootleg version of it somewhere else as well. But we, we've loved, and our kids really enjoy a Superbook as well. Uh, what many of our kids here have, have used over the years, the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, goes through the Bible stories in the language of children and, and really ties every, the whole narrative of the Bible together. And it's been a great tool for us. Um, the, on the bottom right here, What is God Like? by William Lane Craig, who's the last person on earth that I would ever expect to write a children's book. He sounds like a robot when he speaks, but I love him. And he wrote some great children's books that answer some deep theological questions that our kids have. It goes through the attributes of God. What is God like? Uh, in particular, his book on the Trinity is, I think, really excellent. Um, and I, I would highly, highly recommend it. We'll send these out uh, to our, our church email database this week as well for you parents. Okay, and the last thing here, this is a great gospel tool. This is the gospel. I was recently turned on to this, and it goes through the narrative of the Bible. If for anyone, I think this would encourage any of you guys. I really do. It's not just content for kids. It's the content of the scriptures, and it's similar to what we'll go through in a few moments here, the gospel tool that we've developed, but specifically helping kids understand the whole arc of the Bible of God's redemptive plan for humanity, and specifically the gospel. It's an incredible tool that I would encourage you parents to get your hands on. This is the gospel. My kids read truth. Okay. <clears throat> um, Brandon, you want to cue up that video here? If you, if you feel like God can't use you, in your own family, with your own children, or outside of your family. Like, you don't have what it takes to get the gospel out. I want you, I want you to be encouraged by this video, okay? There was a young man in, in Calvary. Uh, his name was Ben. And I was wondering, you, I was there for a few years. And uh, he was just, he was a nice kid. He was one of those kids that was always just, he was a real smart ass. Okay, I don't condone that in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying, God, can, he can use anything. He can use anything. That was not fake. I, don't th I think that was real. I think that was real. I know, now it is upsetting. Um, that is not, that is bad. That is bad. Do not ever do that. No, I just thought y'all would need a mental break for just a moment. I probably should have said this was a humorous, kind of making fun of it video beforehand. Uh, Okay, moving on. If we, can we do that? Can we move on? All right, I want to just real quick recap, and this is kind of moving out of the realm of just gospel groundwork for our children, although I think these things are applicable with our children in many ways. 
but we often need to word them different and need to talk about things differently when we're speaking with our own children or, or any different group for that matter. Last week, we talked through some, uh, categorically through some different type of questions that we can ask as believers to initiate spiritual conversations. Icebreaker questions, like, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Um, just engaging with people in kindness and love and, and being someone who will take the first step in a relationship. This is what Christians ought to do. And right now in the world, it is salt and light to engage people by asking questions because it's not necessarily that common anymore. The second, tactical questions, asking people for clarification. What do you mean by that claim, that religious claim you're making? What do you mean by that? Uh, And then, uh, if I can say it this way, putting the burden of proof back on them. Well, why do you believe that? What evidence do you have for that belief? These type of questions oftentimes cause people to think about things in ways they never have before. The third are heart questions. To, to be asking, even asking the Lord, God, help me speak to this person's heart and ask the questions that they really need to hear. We saw Jesus do this perfectly in John chapter four. Ask questions that got to the heart of what really was holding this woman back. Jesus is the model. And I believe, I do believe that he will lead us. He will lead us and he will uh, give us his heart and the wisdom to speak with people and ask the type of questions that will draw them out if we would submit ourselves to him. And the last are invitational questions. In other words, questions that cause movement. We've asked these questions, we've had a conversation, and oftentimes people get stuck. Okay, well, what do you do then? Ask a question that causes some movement. One question that we threw out last week was, have you ever heard the core message of Jesus Christ? Like what he really talked about. And oftentimes people love to answer this question. I would say nine out of 10 times people answer it in a way that's not quite they talk about things Jesus did, but uh, don't understand what is the core message of Jesus Christ. This is what he taught and what he lived out and what the New Testament is about, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can ask that question and have a great conversation with someone and then keep things moving if there's, if there's interest there, if there's a willingness to participate in a gospel conversation um, by, by then taking the next step. Well, can I... Can I, can I share with you the core message of Jesus, which is the gospel? Do you want to hear it? Can I share it with you? Can we meet up? You can do something called a gospel appointment and say, hey, like, can we grab coffee? Can we get lunch? Specifically to talk about this. You know, you don't have to spring it on them. This doesn't need to be like an MLM type situation uh, where they think they're your friend and they're coming over to your house, but you're really trying to sell them Amway. We don't have to do it like that. You can just say in advance, hey, do there's something really important. Uh, Do you want to get together and talk about it? I'd love to share the gospel message with you. Um, That's something that feels really difficult, but is is easier than it it appears. Okay, so real quick, let's look at a definition, the way we've been defining the gospel. This comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, and Mark 1, 1. The gospel is the true story of Jesus' identity as Messiah and Lord, his death on a cross as the sacrificial offering for the sins of mankind and his bodily resurrection from the dead. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what he has done. We've put together this tool and I've been sharing the gospel this way for years and many others have here as well. But we want to make things, we wanted to develop a tool that would really help 
us as a church and other believers outside of Awaken as well. Communicate the gospel with boldness and with clarity. So this tool, it does two things. We talked a couple weeks ago about front-end and back-end implications of the gospel. On the, the front-end, things that are, that are not necessarily part of this exacting gospel definition, but that are really important to understand and to believe, like God created the world, or that we have sin in our lives, and we've broken the deal with God. Um, and then also back-end implications. The gospel requires a response. It requires us to, to do something. So I would say this gospel tool, it does two things. One, it communicates the gospel through the scriptures. I think clearly. And two, it tells the whole arc of God's redemptive story that we have in the Bible. It's the, the whole arc of the story of God redeeming mankind, which includes some of these gospel implications like creation and like responding to the gospel, which is a really important gospel implication. So there's kind of two things going on at once in this gospel tool, but I hope that you'll find it helpful and simple to utilize. So first of all, how do you use this tool? You can go, and you can do this as we're, as we're talking here. If you've got a smartphone, you can go to awakencolumbus.com slash the gospel. We'll talk in future weeks about how to make this like an icon on your phone. And as we use this and as we see God using it and bearing fruits, we, we want to work on this and make it better and make it more clear and listen to feedback from those who are using it regularly. And we, we plan to, to do some, some more with this and add some things, not to the message, not to the gospel, but to the way that this, this tool operates. Um, perhaps making it an app uh, in the future months or years, um, and we've got all kinds of ideas <clears throat> of what to do with it. But for now, you can go to awakencolumbus.com slash the gospel, and you'll see these different panels that go through the story. Uh, we also plan to, once we've ironed out the kinks a little bit, uh, make physical copies of this, for those of you guys who are too righteous to have a smartphone, um, God bless you. Keep it up. I don't want to encourage you to get a smartphone for this, so we're going to make physical copies um, of, of this in, in some time here. Okay, so how do you go through this? Let's go to the first panel here, and that is creation. So this isn't quite what it looks like on the phone, as you'll see, but we couldn't put it up in the right way on the screen. You, it, the text would be too small. So these are side by side, but it's actually just one, one image using the Renaissance, the appropriate Renaissance art for all, all these different ideas. So the beginning of the story is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. These are three significant truths and passages from the first chapter of the scriptures. And what we want to encourage you to do is to, for those who are interested in hearing the gospel and those who God has put in your sphere of influence, to go through these panels and all you need to do, all you need to do is ask a simple question. Actually, I think you might need to go back to this question. What do you understand this to mean? What do you understand this to mean? You can go through these panels, creation, sin, 
promise, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, invitation, and call to response, or invitation and, and decision, I'm sorry. And simply ask, if you had an opportunity to do this tonight and you've never shared the gospel in your life before, you can simply ask, what do you understand this to mean? And then move on to the next panel. Now, I've included a second question here that you probably don't need to or want to ask with every single panel, but you may. What, if anything, is confusing or difficult for you to believe about this? When we're communicating the gospel with others, it should be conversational. They should be asking questions. They should be making objections if they have them. They should be saying, I don't understand this or I don't believe this. It's not just a matter of communicating the story and just trudging through when someone has obstacles or objections or unbelief. So let's give people the opportunity, and they'll probably take it on their own in, in nine out of 10 cases, but to draw them out and ask them, really, do, do you believe this? Is there anything about this you don't understand? Is there anything about creation that you don't understand, that you struggle with, that you don't believe? So you could choose to ask that question or not. Uh, and again, this is one way of communicating the gospel. There are many, many tools out there that are wonderful, but we have felt that it will be helpful for us as a church to emphasize one, one to emphasize one tool that we kind of talk about that's part of our language and culture and vernacular. So what do you understand this to mean? Um, okay, let's move to the next one. Creation, sin. And I'm, I'm gonna just do this real quick with you guys, go through these verses. It can take hours, it can take a few minutes. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone's sins. This is the story. This is the continuation of the story arc, God's narrative of how he's redeeming mankind. But these next two verses, while they're in line with the story arc, are very important for us personally to recognize. And I, I will say this is one of the most difficult things in our culture today, in the United States, in an, an urban core type situation. It is very difficult for people to understand, believe, and accept our own sinfulness. This is not necessarily the case in other parts of the world or at other times, but this is a particular, a particular difficulty for us. So I think it's a very good one to unpack that people may struggle with. Not only do I need to understand the story arc that sin entered the world, but more importantly, the more important gospel truth that I need to understand to come to Christ is that I need him. I actually need him because I personally have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, his righteousness. My relationship with him has been broken. So as you read these verses and you can be just sitting across the table with someone and pass your phone over to them or however, however you choose to do it, have them read, simply read these verses for everyone has sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standard. For the wages of sin is death. And I've always found it's important to define that word wage. It's what we earn. People know what that word means, but they don't often use it. So to define that, maybe to ask a specific question about that. But again, with the truths in this part of the story, what do you understand this to mean? We want to help people understand we want to really help them understand. And now, I'm intentionally not using what does this say to you or what do you feel this means or how does this make you feel or, or, or those type of questions because there is a solid standard of truth that is in the word and, and a series of historical events that have actually happened 
the way we feel about it is important, but first we have to understand what God truly and literally has, quite literally has done in history. It is not based on our feeling. Okay, so the next panel here, and that is promise. And these are three verses from the prophet Isaiah that come long before uh, the birth of Jesus. And it, it can, it's going to begin pointing to, pointing people to Jesus as the solution to our problem of sin and death. And I believe it will help people, and I've, I've seen this many, many times over the years, it will help people begin to understand the point of what Jesus was doing. That he's, he was not just a good teacher. He was not just a philosopher. He was not just a moralizer. But that he came to do something very specific that we desperately needed. So Isaiah chapter 7, 14, all right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. Isaiah 53, 11. Can you see where this is beginning to point us? We're about to get to the birth of Jesus, to what he did, to the cross, to the resurrection. I'm going to stop this part of the message for now, and we're going to keep going with that next week. Next week, we're going to do, we're going to do two things. One, just finish going through this tool, and I, I hope that you'll be equipped and empowered to, to go through this with confidence and to meditate and understand the gospel better yourself. And then secondly, objections to the gospel. When we encounter objections to the gospel, what do, we, what do we do? And we'll talk through some common objections to the gospel. And I hope that you'll be empowered and excited um, about those as well. I, I really believe and have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It stands up to honest questions. It stands up to scrutiny, the toughest scrutiny. We, we ought to welcome that. We ought to welcome that because Jesus Christ himself is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Um, let me close, with, close here with two passages. These are prayers that Paul asked for himself. The apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist of all time. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And then Colossians 4.4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This, this is my prayer for each of you. I think these are wonderful ideas and prayers that we ought to pray for ourselves. That we would proclaim the gospel fearlessly with boldness, taking risks, Engaging with God, saying, God, use me. I believe this. I believe in you. And that we would proclaim it clearly. That it would be the gospel, not the story of Kimball, not the story of Awakened Church, not the story of our branch of Christianity. That we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly and give people the opportunity to respond to this message that has and is changing the world. That's my prayer. That's what I want to pray for you right now. We'll go through the rest of this next week.
that we would be men and women who proclaim the gospel boldly and clearly. God, would you make this a reality for us? Would you motivate us, God? Help us to believe and know your goodness. Help us to believe and know the good news, God. Lord, help us to just really, really want to share this with others, God, because of how you've transformed our lives. We pray that you'd help us, God. We pray that you would give us words. God, that you would give us insight, that there would be many, many gospel appointments. Lord, where we can take a step that feels like a risk oftentimes, communicating the gospel, asking that first question, taking that first step. Lord, and I pray that you'd give us the words to say that are true and help us to communicate, Lord, what's on your heart, what you've done, God, so that men and women around us in our sphere, in our city, and all around the world would hear who Jesus is and what he has done, God. Would you make that the burning desire of our heart? And we say that you alone, you alone, Lord, are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.